Heidi, appreciate that much. That's exciting. My goodness, I'll get your blood flowing. And uh, that is an exciting thing. Uh, here on earth, we like to celebrate when our favorite teams uh, win a championship or something like that with a parade and all those good things. People like to go out and do those kind of things. My friend, that pales greatly in comparison to what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ is crowned. And uh, what a delight that will be there, uh, be for us to be there on that day. What a great treat. Luke chapter number 7, uh, we have for us out of this passage um, a, uh, a, a doctrinal nugget and also a very a nugget of truth that is very applicable for application for you and I uh, here this morning uh, out of this passage. The title of the message is this, Have You Forgotten Who You Are? Have You Forgotten Who You Are? Uh, Jesus' fame here in Luke chapter six, uh, 7, excuse me, has already begun to grow in the chapters up le- uh, leading up to this, and uh, uh, his fame has spread greatly. People were already flocking to him. They were already, he had already, in a sense, made a name for himself in the sense people wanted to come be healed, they want to hear his teaching and such, and so he had created quite a stir. Uh, there were people who just wanted to get close to him. They wanted to see what the uproar was about. They wanted to see what he was all about. And interestingly, it included some of the Sadducees and Pharisees. I, I like it as you kind of trace it through the early scriptures here in the gospel, that is, the early part of the New Testament. The Sadducees and the Pharisees went out to see John the Baptist. They wanted to see what was going on, who this guy was like. Now, as Christ gained in popularity, at least in people wanting to see miracles and everything else, they too came to see what was going on. Well, in Luke chapter 7, we're introduced to a very eager Pharisee. I, I kind of picture him as younger. We don't really know. But he was very eager to find out what was Christ all about. So he gave Christ an invitation to come and eat uh, a meal at his house. And even more surprisingly, Jesus Christ accepted the invitation. I can just imagine his disciples were like, what was he thinking? What is he doing? Why is he going to this Pharisee's house? But he did. And as he did so, while he was enjoying dinner or heading that way, word began to spread. As you can imagine, and uh, uh, the rumors and the, the facts spread all over the place. And so people began to hear that, that uh, Christ was going, Jesus was going to this particular Pharisee's home and eating a meal. Well, uh, it was <laughs> as they arrived there and maybe began to eat, in comes a woman that is only identified here in this passage as a sinner. That's all we know about her. We don't know her name, and honestly, I think that is somewhat, uh, somewhat purposeful. We are told the Pharisee's name, which we'll get to in a moment, but we don't know this lady's name. She is only identified as a sinner. When we've been in this passage, in fact, um, after I had prepared the message, the Lord delayed in my heart, I looked back, and I brought a message from this same passage exactly two years ago. It was on the 20th of February, 2020. And, uh, but this is a whole different uh, angle, in a sense, or a whole different truth we're going to drive out of it. But even in that message, we alluded to that the, the likelihood was that she was probably a woman of the streets. She was a harlot. That seems to be uh, somewhat indicated here because uh, the Pharisee thinks to himself, hey, th- everybody knows she's a sinner. Everybody knows that this is a very public sin, and she's out there, and, and everybody knows and is well aware that, that she is a great sinner. And so we can derive from that, and we don't know 100% sure what it is. But she comes in. She astonishes the crowd. You can imagine as she enters the, the room or whatever it is, she comes in, and, and she looks around, and everybody's like, what is she doing here? You can imagine the whispers. What is she doing here? Why she, who invited her? And she looks around, she gazes, and She sees Jesus Christ, and she deliberately goes and stands right behind him. 
In that day, you and I both well know that the custom was that uh, they didn't sit at a dining room table like you and I do. They would often lounge on the ground and their feet out behind them, maybe on a pillow, and and eat that way. And so you can imagine there's Christ kind of laid there eating that way. She comes and stands behind his feet. And the astonishment and the amazement of that moment, everybody's just kind of looking at the awkwardness. You can imagine, and, you know, uh, someone somewhere has probably said, awkward, you know, <laughs> because of what was going on in reality. Man, but then, then before anything is said, all of a sudden tears start to fall down her face. They begin to drop from her cheeks and fall to the ground and even fall on Christ. People like kind of, man, just embarrassed for her you ever been embarrassed for someone else you can imagine they were like what is she doing why did she come in here why why is she doing that then in spite of all the awkwardness already she kneels down and as she kneels down she she purposefully dwells over christ's feet and the tears just fall on his feet and if it wasn't quiet already, you could imagine that really hushed everything. And just when it couldn't get any worse in the Pharisee's eyes, he's probably thinking, Jesus will never come back to my house. <laughs> He'll never, what, what will people think of me? And just when it couldn't get any worse, she lays herself prostrate on the floor. And as her tears have wet the feet of Jesus Christ, the Bible says she grabs her own hair and she uses it as a towel to, to wipe and clean his feet. You can imagine, obviously, likelihood she had long hair. And so she brought it around and she's kneeling down and she's using her own hair to wipe his feet. <sighs> then, before anybody can say anything or do anything, before the Pharisee can call a servant, hey, come get her, get her out of here. Uh, she reaches for that expensive box. It's called here an alabaster box full of ointment. She opens it. She scoops out some of that anointment. And she begins to anoint the very feet of Christ. I can just imagine she picked it up gingerly and she began to spread that ointment around his feet and on it and, and all through. And, and as she does, maybe the tears are still flowing. And, and, and say, wow, why did she do that? I'll be honest, I think if we could gaze upon her in that moment, you would probably see, in spite of the tears, great joy and happiness in her countenance. She has found her Savior. This is the one, the Messiah, the one that is going to die for her and her sins. And she begins to anoint his feet. And and the Bible even tells us later on, not only does she do that, and, and this had to be awkward for all those gathered, she begins kissing Christ's feet. Now you tell me how awkward that would be if someone begins kissing your feet at lunch today. That's what happens. This is taking place, and, and you, this is the buildup. And this was too much for the Pharisee, right? This is, just, uh, this is over the top. He was not prepared for this. And you can just imagine, he's over here huffing and puffing. He's rolling his eyes and mumbling to himself. And I love what God does for you and I in this story. It's in that moment, and he occasionally does this, very rarely, but he occasionally does it. God in heaven allows you and I to glimpse into the very heart and thoughts of a man. We get to see what's going on inside. You ever look at your child and you're like, man, I really wish I knew what was going on in there. I really wish I knew what they were thinking. Well, you and I don't have that privilege. We don't have that ability. We look on the outside, but God always, always 
always sees the heart. And in this story, he allows you and I to glimpse it for a moment, to look inside. And as we do, we, we realize that there is only great disdain for this woman. He is wondering, why would Christ allow that kind of woman to do that to him? Look with me, verse number 39, if you will. Luke 7, verse 39. We pick up in the story as we've described it. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. This is the Pharisee saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she she is a sinner. Man, what a statement. And so notice it, Jesus knowing his thoughts, he, he speaks to the Pharisee. His name is Simon, okay? And uh, uh, he, he calls Simon, and, and notice the statement. You see in the very next verse there, he says, I have something to speak to you about, Simon. You can imagine this lady is still back here anointing Christ's feet and Christ catches the eye of the Pharisee who's just looking with great disdain of the woman. Christ knows his thoughts and he says to Simon, Simon, I have something to speak to you about. Now Simon's probably a little uh, uh, still uh, naive to what's going on, what's about to go on. And you can imagine, he's like, finally, this is why I got Christ here. Uh, finally, we'll talk about Judaism. We'll talk about all the things that I want to talk about. I'll, I'll find out why he says certain things, why he teaches the way he does, and, and the things that he's brought up to the people. I want to ask about that. But Jesus Christ um, has other ideas. In the moment, once Christ has his undivided attention, he, he begins to tell Simon a parable. He says there's two debtors and, uh, who owe money to a creditor. The one owes about 500 pence. The other, a much smaller amount and a great difference here, the other one just owes 50 pence. There's obviously a great difference there. There's a, uh, 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 between 50 pence and 500 if we were to put those in dollars or whatever the case may be today. Great difference. Yet, the Bible and Christ in his parable says, you know, Simon, but neither one of them could pay their debt. Not the one who owed 50, not the one who owed 500. Neither one had the ability in and of themselves. They just could not do it. Literally, he says they have nothing to pay. They can offer nothing against their debt, nothing to erase it, nothing to take care of it. There's just nothing there. But Christ then makes the astonishing statement. He says, but then the creditor forgave them their debt. They received the letter. It says, your debt has been forgiven. Astonishing. And so Christ turns to Simon and he simply says this, tell me therefore, which one will love him most? Which one will, will have the greater love for him? Simon answered, I suppose the one to whom he forgave the most. And can I just imagine he, Christ, he, you know, he just got a smile on his face and he started shaking his head and he says, thou hast rightly judged Thou hast rightly judged. Then comes the big moment for the application. Don't miss it today. Here's where Christ is going to expound upon, and, and this application will, will leave Simon hanging his head in shame, we can imagine, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, praising this woman, praising her. It's an amazing story. It's, a, it's certainly not what we would have thought would have happened at this lunch. But this is what transpired. It starts with another question. 
You can imagine he's laying there, Christ is, and he looks behind him as he's talking. In fact, the Bible tells us he looks at the woman, and so maybe she's still there and anointing his feet, whatever the case may be, maybe kissing his feet, as it, the passage would allude to him, her continually doing. And, and she's there, and, and he says to Simon, 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 seest thou this woman? And I can imagine, could you imagine? Well, what do you think is going through Simon's head? How could we miss her? She's disturbed this entire lunch. She is a woman of ill repute. How in the, do you really think? Oh, 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 yeah, I just see her for the first. No, no way. And, and Simon's like, well, yeah, obviously. She, she doesn't belong here. She doesn't fit here. She's not anybody that I would have. She sticks out like a sore thumb. I wouldn't have invited her. Ever since she arrived and began her abominable acts, Jesus, we've seen her. But I want you to see this morning, and do not miss it, you see the difference that Christ exposes between two supposed worshipers of God? You see the difference that when Christ says, seest thou this woman, he's exposing a difference between two who claim to worship God, two who claim to know God, two who say, yeah, I, I'm going to worship God, and, and, and I adore God, and I love God, and, and this is, man, this is exposing a great difference between them. You see, friend, it's a crucial one that separates true worshipers from those who just go through the motions. Those who claim to love God and worship Him, but yet that, that claim to love and worship rings hollow. May I just challenge you this morning that Simon was like thousands that entered the temple and the synagogue every Sabbath during the time of Jesus Christ. He is like thousands, if not millions, who will enter the doors of a church today one who wore worships formally. They'll, they'll sit in a pew, they'll, they'll gather in a church, and yet they miss the most important ingredient if we are to be true worshipers of God. You say, what is it? Well, Christ is making a point to Simon, and here's the first lesson we might say uh, in our study. Okay? It's simply this. His eyes saw only others in their sins, while her eyes saw only Christ the Savior and herself for what she is. Here's the big difference. Hey, Simon, do you see her? I want you to see not just see her physically, but see her, the difference between her and you. And Simon's saying, well, yeah, she's a sinner. <laughs> she's a woman of ill repute. She doesn't fit here. And I, I'm a Pharisee. I, I'm something special. Christ shaking his head as he can imagine what's going on in Simon's heart and his thoughts. He, he was only concerned with others. He was only concerned with others thought of him. He he did not see Christ the Savior. He certainly did not see himself for who he was. Can I just encourage you this morning and challenge you that true worship of Christ eliminates the thoughts and acts that are not of love? Jealousy and hypocrisy, condemnation of others, the tearing down of others, the pointing out of one's sin and failures, the, the lack of forgiveness between people, the unwillingness to let past offenses go, the human propensity to key, uh, compare ourselves with others. Here was this woman, and she was deeply penitent. Her soul melted into tears. Her heart overflowed with love, and she fully surrendered all she had in her worship of Christ. Do you realize that as Christ said, Simon, seest thou this woman? You know what he's telling her? He's saying this, Simon, learn from her. 
Learn from her what true worship is. Learn from her how she sees herself and in reflection, how she sees Jesus Christ, how she sees her God. Learn from her. And I would say today, my friend, if Jesus Christ could tell this story himself, and oh, what a day that will be when you and I will hear stories from the Scriptures from Christ himself. But if he were to tell you this story today, I believe he would say to you and I, Christian, learn from her. Christian, learn from her. Oh, be careful. Don't fall into the, uh, the, the misstep of Simon. But her? Her? This woman? Uh, what manner of man, woman she is? Learn from her. Christ tells us exactly, though, what we can learn from her. Look at verse 44, if you will. Notice it. Verse 44. After he told Simon, thou hast rightly judged, he says this, and he turned to the woman and said to Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this, this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, wherefore I say unto thee, her, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Uh, amazing thing. Uh, you, he's just, you can tell, he's like, you ever have a parent who just repeated your name while shaking their head? Simon, Simon, Simon. No, you've done wrong. I just imagine Christ looking at him with that sad look of, you just don't get it, Simon. Simon, you don't get it. Seest thou this woman? Do you not see her for what she is? Do you not see her for the true worshiper that he is? That she is, excuse me. He goes on, as we've just read, he, he, he points out Simon's failures in comparison to this woman. Simon, you didn't even give me water or a towel to wash my feet as the custom is, and that was the custom in that day, whether you had a servant do it, or at least you very uh, provided the water, you provided a towel to wash their feet, dusty feet from walking in uh, those dusty streets, and, but he didn't do that. He says, you didn't provide me that. This woman yet washed her feet, my feet with her tears. She wiped my feet with her hair, Simon. Simon, you didn't greet me with the common uh, uh, customary greeting of a kiss in that day and the embracing, a, a welcoming a guest into your home. You, you, you didn't do that. You gave me no kiss. But this was, woman has not only washed and cleansed my feet, anointed them, but she has not ceased. Did you catch it? Did not cease kissing them. Simon, you, you didn't give me any ointment. You didn't even anoint my head. You did, you did nothing of the sort, but this woman has anointed my feet with a precious ointment. Why, Simon? Why do you think she's done? Why do you think her, her worship is so genuine? Why do you think it's so real? Why, why do you think she's unlike anybody else who, who gathers before Christ and for many others who just are going through the routine, who, who just kind of show up to church and just kind of go through uh, the, 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 the things that they know are required of them? Why is she so different, Simon? Why is there such a gaping difference between this one who's come to worship me and you? A professing religious leader, uh, uh, one who is a professing worshiper of God and the Messiah. And Christ says, I'll tell you why, Simon. Learn this lesson from her. And friend, could I encourage you and I to learn from her this day? Notice it, a true worshiper of God 
never forgets who he or she is, and that is a sinner. A sinner. Christ makes the point very clear. She recognized it. Verse 47 put, her, her sins are many. You see, these are the lessons that we can learn from her. A true worshiper never forgets who he or she is, and that's a sinner. Uh, she is a sinner and her sins are many. She, she admits that. She knows that. That's what Christ says. Her, her sins are many. Christ in no way says, that's ah, not that bad. It's not, uh, her, her sins aren't too bad. And, you know, she's not the worst. And I know I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. No, no, no. She, she didn't say anything like that. She, she embraced what Christ said. Her sins are many. And that is how, do not miss it, friend. That is how she sees herself. She knows she's a sinner, Simon. She's come to worship me because she knows that I, I am the one who can take away those sins. She's come to worship me today as a person who sees herself for who she is. She is a sinner. And my friend, can I tell you that fact, that is where her love for me erupts, Christ says, where her true and genuine worship flows from. Uh, Simon, you need to see yourself as she sees herself. You realize what he's saying, friend? You ought, to, you ought to never forget who you are. Never. My friend, when you entered this building today, did you remind yourself that you are a sinner? Oh, saved by grace, and praise be unto God for that, but friend, you and I are sinners. We're sinners. And likely, our sins are many. We ought to never forget that. Because it has a tremendous bearing on our love for our God and our worship of Him. The moment you and I think, hey, well, we're pretty good. I mean, look at me. I come to church you know, every week. I, I give to the church. I do these things. I, compared to the rest of the world, I, I, I'm pretty hunky-dory. May I tell you, listen to me. Do not miss it. The moment you and I begin to believe such a, a lie, the fact is this. Our love for Him wanes. Our worship of him is not all that it could be and should be. You ask Simon the Pharisee, hey, you know, what do you think? You going to heaven? You think, oh, yeah, you know, I, I do all this every week, and I teach this, and I, I really serve God, and I put him first in these things, and, I, and boy, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm, a, I'm okay. And you know what Christ is saying to Simon? Seest thou this woman? Seest thou this woman? See, some are puzzled that Paul, uh, the, great, uh, the great missionary, the great apostle, that after many years of service for Christ and planting churches and seeing souls saved, that even after all that, <laughs> he calls himself what? I am the chief of who? Sinners. But Paul, look at you. I mean, if anybody had the pedigree in the sense of what you've achieved in your resume, Paul, that's you. Uh, come on, you're, you're not the chief of sinners. But can I tell you what moved Paul to love his God like no one else? He always reminded himself, I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of all deserving of his grace. I am the least of all deserving of the salvation that he offers. I don't deserve forgiveness. I can't pay it back. I can't earn it. I am a woeful sinner. But I sure am glad that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And my friend, it moved Paul. 
He did not forget. He did not believe a lie that he had arrived. And he said, I, I, I don't believe that I've already attained. I, I don't think that I've already accomplished. I haven't finished my course. I'm, I'm nothing. And my friend, when you remind yourself of just who you are, boy, does it deepen your love for your God who gave you salvation. Boy, does it cause you and I to come into this auditorium and in our time of privately reading God's word and praying and we worship him. Why? Because I am a sinner. I don't deserve anything. I am like the woman who stood behind him. I am like the woman who kneeled down and let her tears fall on his feet. I am like that woman who washed his feet with her hair. I am that woman who ought to be kissing his feet because I am a great sinner. But he is a great savior. It ought to move us and impact our worship. You see, my friend, Paul understood. Oh, yes, he was saved from his sins on that road to Damascus as he trusted in Christ. But he never forgot the great debt of sin. Here's the parable, right? Two debtors. They owed a creditor. And my friend, you and I were debtors to sin. We could not pay it. You see, Paul, he understood he was forgiven of his sins, but he always reminded himself, I had a great debt of sin that I owed I could never pay. And Jesus Christ paid it. And so I'm the chief of sinners. You see, here's the great truth. Simon here teaches in verse 47, Simon, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven her. And she loves God. She, she loves God in equal proportion to that sin. She worships God in equal proportion to that sin. And here is the other lesson that I want you to learn, Simon. And he spells it out there in verse 47. Here, it's simply this. A true worshiper never forgets the greatness of their sin, which leads to the genuineness of their worship. Hey, Christian, mark that down. Listen to it. Put it in your heart. A true worshiper never forgets the greatness of their sin, which leads to what? The genuineness of their worship. It's authentic. It's real. Because I remember who I am. And I have no hope in and of myself. And I had no hope. And this was the God and the Savior that changed that. My friend, it's a reality that when we, when we forget the greatness of our sin, it affects the genuineness of our worship. Notice what, how Christ put it. She said, he said this, Wherefore I say unto thee, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. She was real in her worship. There was no hypocrisy. There was no trying to make others think better than she was. No pretenses. No errors about her. This is just the raw realization of the greatness of her sin that moved her to great and genuine worship of her Savior. And he looks at Simon and says, Simon, all that you do as a Pharisee and all that you, you, you think and worshiping me. And... Is it real? Is it genuine? Are you moved and motivated? Have you forgotten today, Simon, who you are? Simon, you're a sinner just like her. You're no greater than her. You are a sinner like her. Have you forgotten who you are? And this morning, I'd echo the same question. Christian, have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten the greatness of your sin? You say, okay, I know I'm a sinner. All have sinned. And boy, we remind ourselves in salvation. But I tell you, when you and I come to worship our God, we ought to remind ourselves I'm a sinner. Today, I get to worship God. 
the great God of heaven that brought salvation? Have you forgotten the greatness of your sin? How great is your sin? Well, your sin was great enough that it nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. It separated you from God for all of eternity. That is the greatness of our sin. The sins that you and I commit, the things that we do that are wrong. And yet if we forget who we are, may I just remind you, it will affect our love and our worship. If you have forgotten who you are, it will cause your love for God to diminish. If you have forgotten who you are, it will cause your worship of God to be shallow, formal, just going through the motions. If you've forgotten who you are, it will cause the priority of living for your God to fade in your mind and heart. Here's the practical lesson for us, friend. What Christ says to Simon, Simon, you gave no water. She gave me her tears. Simon, you gave me no kiss on my cheek. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, you gave me no anointing. She gave me costly ornament, ornament, excuse me, to anoint my feet. You realize the... Another example we learn from her of true worship, genuine love and worship must and will find expression in self-denial, self-sacrifice, and self-effacement for the sake of the loved one. Genuine love and worship must and will find its expression in self-denial. She walked into that room and she didn't care what others were going to think of her. What would they say about her? I don't care. Self-sacrifice, my friend, can I tell you, that was an expensive box of alabaster. There are different commentators who believe different worth, but uh, many months' wages likely, and it it was expensive. She had sacrificed much for that. And could you imagine the humility it would have taken to fall at the feet of Jesus, to use your own hair to wipe his feet, and to kiss his feet? How have you humbled yourself this morning? What have you sacrificed in worship today? What have you and I denied ourselves in worshiping our God today? May I just ask this? How is your love this morning as you've come to church? Have you forgotten who you are? Could God say to you this morning what he said to Simon? Could God in heaven say this morning to you and I, yes, yes, you came to church, but you did it just because it was your duty to do so. Thou gavest me no kiss. Yes, you, you sang today. You sang songs about me, and you, you may have sang to me, but, but you were just going through the motions. You, you gave me no kiss. There's no genuine love behind it. Oh, yes, you, you heard the preaching. You listened, but you did not take it to heart. The seed of God's word fell on stony ground in your life. Thou, thou gavest me no kiss. Oh, you shook hands today. You, you greeted others there at church. You, you smiled, but there was no genuine brotherly love expressed. You felt you had to do it. Thou gavest me no kiss. You gave an offering to me today. There is no cheerfulness in your giving. You did it more out of obligation than anything else. Thou gavest me no kiss. 
You speak of your love for me only when pressed. You, you only say you're a Christian when called upon or urged to do so. You hesitate to let others know that you belong to me and I belong to you. Thou gavest me no kiss. My friend, it'd be good for you and I today to simply ask ourselves, in lieu of our love for God and our worship of God, am I more like Simon or am I more like this nameless lady? Have I forgotten who I am? There's one more practical lesson that we need to learn from this lady. Look at verse 45. He says, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. May I remind you this morning of this simple truth. Genuine love and worship know no end. She didn't cease. She didn't stop. I can imagine Simon the Pharisee is like, Will you give it up already? Will you just leave? And she kept worshiping him kept adoring jesus christ and genuine worship it it, it has no end from the moment she arrived the moment she left she didn't stop loving christ and worshiping him it's not conditional based upon one's circumstances how one's week went whether or not life is great or terrible right now whether or not god has answered our prayers this week or how I feel, what others are doing or not doing. It's not based upon what is popular or what isn't. My worship and love for God is to be consistent, continual, constant. How often does our worship depend upon how we feel? How often does our worship depend on how good a week we had? If things fell into place, if, if things went well, the answers to prayer that I prayed were, were there and evident and obvious and, and God showed himself strong on my behalf. Okay, then I'm coming to church and boy, I'm ready to worship God. My friend, if you remember who you are, you ought to be always ready to worship God. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. My friend, every time you and I come in those doors, every time we gather around God's word privately or publicly, corporately, my friend, you and I ought to remind ourselves, I am nothing more than a sinner. I am ready to worship my God who is deserving of it all. Genuine love and worship, no, no end. Can I put it this way? The love you and I have for God, it, it, it should be an unconditional love once our condition of being lost for all of eternity Changes in Christ. Did you catch it? We speak so often of God's unconditional love, and rightfully so. He, he displays it. He demonstrates it. He, he is the great expression of true unconditional love. But I'll tell you, as a believer, as a Christian, you and I should have unconditional love for God once the condition of our eternity changes in Jesus Christ. It ought not to depend on how well the week went if I love God and truly worship Him today. It ought not to depend on on how I feel physically. It ought not to depend on whether things fell into place, whether answers to prayer are there, whatever the case may be. That ought not to determine how great my love is, how genuine my worship is. No, friend, the reality is that is all determined because I am nothing more than a sinner that has been saved by the grace of God. I serve a Savior. And I remember every day that, but for the grace of God, I too would be headed for hell. And my friend, that, like nothing else, causes our love and our worship to be genuine and to know no end. No lapses, no weakness, no faltering. Our love and our worship must remain genuine, and it can if we don't forget who we are. Then Christ blows everything out of the water. 
as if in the Pharisee's eyes, this couldn't get stranger. This couldn't get any more weird. This, 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 I just want this guy to leave now. I want her to leave. I want to be done with this day. Then Christ looks to the woman. What does he say? Thy sins are forgiven. Thy sins are forgiven. Well, that said it all. Verse 49 makes it clear that everybody there, those gathered, they were troubled. They were bothered by that because he just put himself on the level of God. You know what? I commend them for at least getting that. Now if they would just realize Jesus Christ is God. He is. Oh, they realized it. He's putting himself on the level of God. Notice it. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Also, God forgives sins. Who are you to say you can forgive sins? But there's a great doctrinal teaching here, one that was intended for Simon and those religious leaders and others gathered in that, that house because it's something that man has struggled with throughout history. They did so in Christ's day. They do in our day. Now listen, don't miss this. Christ did not look at this woman and say to her, your sins are forgiven because of your acts of worship. Your sins are forgiven because of what you just did for me. No, no, no. That's not what he said. Just because she loved him and worshipped him did not make her saved and give her lasting peace. Not at all. Learn the last lesson that God would have Simon to learn here in the moment. My friend, good works cannot bring peace. Only the forgiveness, salvation, and transformation that Christ offers can send you and I off into this world and into eternity with peace. Those things, he makes a great doctrinal point. There's so many people in this world who are trying to worship God in their own way or, or trying to do good works and thinking they're earning favor with God for salvation. My friends, not at all. He says it, Lotus verse 50, and he said to the woman, thy faith, not thy works, not the things that you have done here in this house, thy faith hath saved thee. Notice it, go in my friend, the only way you're going to go in peace is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no peace apart from Christ. The message has not changed for 2,000 years, friend, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Faith in him. I love how he sticks this doctrinal truth into this very practical truth. Oh, he's speaking to you and I and as Christians. And yet he speaks to this woman, her faith in Christ, his forgiveness of her sins had led to her salvation and allowed her, yes, she was a great sinner, to depart in peace. And the same can be said for you and I today. Man, aren't you thankful this morning? Hey, Christian, aren't you thankful this morning that though we are sinners, today we can depart in peace? All because of what Christ did. And my friend, that ought to move us to greater love, a deeper love. That ought to move us to genuine worship displayed time and time again. That when you and I gather to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our holy God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. My friend, when we gather, we ought to remember I am a sinner. And I want to worship the one who saved me. And I know that it is only through him that I get to depart in peace. Every day I experience peace. I get to taste peace. One of the great tragedies that has befallen human, the human race is the corruption of our minds, the neurological corruption. It's probably, to me, one of the greatest aspects of the physical corruption of our bodies that sin has brought upon us. 
And it seems like neurological issues such as Alzheimer's and dementia and and amnesia are on the rise. It seems like they are more prevalent than ever. And boy, I hate it for those who are going through it, their family members that are experiencing it. But can I tell you something? And do not miss it today. Just as bad is what I would call spiritual amnesia. It's when we forget who we are and what what we have gained in Christ. You see... You say, well, why is that so important? Because, friend, it negatively affects our love and our worship. Why will it be so wonderful the day that you and I see Christ to face, Christ face to face, when we gather as the men sang about a moment ago and we see him crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Why is that so special? Why does it that cause that lump to get in our throat? Why does it bring something to the top in us? Simply because this, man, I am a sinner and he's made me part of his family. He saved me. He has made it possible for me to be here in heaven. But when we forget who we are and what we have gained, it negatively affects our worship. It negatively affects our love for him. And so this morning, could I just encourage you, what are we to learn from Simon and this lady? What are we to learn from Christ's interaction here? Well, we are reminded what true worshipers must, what they must be reminded of time and time again. Number one, my friend, we are sinners. Oh yes, we're saved and that sin has been removed. We, we understand that, but it would do us well to remember that our sin debt was great and Christ paid it. It, it would do us well to remember that our sins are truly many. Oh, we have a human propensity to compare ourselves to other. I'm not, I'm not so bad as that murderer. I'm not so bad as that immoral person. I'm not so bad as that person. And boy, we have this great way of doing that. And you know what happens? And when we, when we do such a thing, we forget that our sins were many. We also forget the biblical principle that he that offends the law at one point is guilty of all. My sins were many. As we strive to worship God, may I, uh, well, let's back up. Those many sins, praise God, have been forgiven in Christ. To, to worshipers, man, all of that's been forgiven? You mean, I don't owe anything? Let, let, let me get this straight. I, I, don't own, I, I don't owe any, no, it's paid for. That parable of the, the debtors and the creditor, they, you can imagine the one with 500, like, wait, you're saying I don't, you're not going to come later and get this, no. It's been forgiven. My friend, as you sit here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, aren't you thankful your many sins have been forgiven? As we strive to worship God, may our eyes be only on our Savior. and May we see ourselves for who we are in that worship. And as we never forget who we are, may the greatness of our sin lead to the genuineness of our love and worship for our Lord. You having a hard time worshiping? You don't feel like your love is all that it ought to be for God? May I encourage you to go back to the greatness of your sin. And my friend, that will lead to the genuineness of your love and worship. And last but not least, may that love and may that worship know no end. Oh, that heaven would just be the next and final installation or (laughs) observation of our great genuine worship that we've done all of our lives here on earth and then when we get to heaven it's just the culmination of that same worship that love for god can i just ask you today as we head into our invitation a simple question christian have you forgotten who you are 
has your worship suffered? Has your love waned? Has it diminished? Because uh, we, like, maybe like Simon, have, forgetten, have forgotten who we are and what we've gained in Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm grateful for the challenging passage that we've uh, considered this morning. And Lord, it certainly is uh, convicting. It certainly is challenging. How easy it is for us, for if we've been saved many years, to truly forget who we are. That we are nothing more but sinners saved by grace. And Father, it matters not how many good works we have performed. It, it, it matters not what we have done in service to you, our, our God and King. Reality is, Lord, we are sinners. And so, Father, I pray we'd never, soon, we'd never forget, and we'd not soon forget what we have gained through the forgiveness of those sins. My Father, I want these, my brothers and sisters, and Lord, I, I want it for myself that our worship and our love would be genuine. That if someone were to ask me, why do you worship every, every Sunday? Why do, you, why do you go when the doors are open? Why, why do you read that Bible? Why, why are you so consumed? Why are you a fanatic about uh, that God and that Bible and that church? Father, I pray our answer would simply be this. Because I am a sinner and my God has forgiven my sins. Lord, may we, may we be moved this morning. May we be challenged in the worship that we have offered you. May we be convicted when those days and those Sundays and those times in our life we've been more like Simon than this nameless woman. And Father, I pray that we get back to a worship and a love that is infused and motivated and moved by a remembrance of just who we are and what we have gained through Christ. Father, I pray that our worship, our genuine worship and love would know no end. That, Father, it would flow and continue until the day that we gaze upon our Savior on the throne. Father, would you help us today? We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be less than we ought to be in any area of our lives. Would you help us? Help our worship to be genuine. Help our love for you to not diminish. Father, help us to never forget that we are simply sinners saved by grace. Work in this invitation as only you can. Heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to